0: This is an audio recording of the article, Assessing the Value of the arrived Trial for Clinical Practice, Sea Change or Just a Splash. This was published in the Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health by the editors who are Julia Philippi and Tekoa King. Multiple observational studies have found an association between labor induction and increased rates of cesarean birth when compared with spontaneous labor. Because these study methodologies cannot control for other factors that might independently affect the relationship between labor induction and cesarean birth, these studies could not prove causation. Yet, without better evidence, observational studies have influenced clinical practice and guidance to women. Recently, the results of a large randomized controlled trial, in parentheses RCT, specifically designed to assess the relationship between induction of labor and caesarean birth, were published. With this new study, should practice change? The randomized trial of induction versus expectant management, or the ARRIVE trial, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in August, and that was, I believe, August of 2018. This RCT was conducted by the Maternal-Fetal Medicine Units, network of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in 41 academic medical centers between 2014 and 2017. The study included 6,106 low-risk nulliparous women who were randomized to induction of labor at 39 weeks gestation or expectant management until at least 40 weeks and five days gestation in the absence of a clinical indication. There were no significant differences in adverse neonatal outcomes, 4.3% in the labor induction group versus 5.4% in the expectant management group. The relative risk was 0.80, 95% confidence interval. However, women who underwent labor induction at 39 weeks had a significantly lower risk of cesarean birth than women who had expectant management, 18.6% versus 22.2%. Are the arrived trial results the evidence needed to cause a sea change in clinical practice? If so, are midwives going to feel adrift because elective induction of labor is not consistent with the profession's commitment to physiologic labor and birth? Knowledge and best evidence change over time. Every clinician has a professional obligation to assess new data dispassionately and to alter practice when appropriate. An adequate assessment of evidence should include more than interpreting the results of one individual study. In addition, professional norms and philosophy can color one's view, thereby impacting the objectivity of an assessment. The ARRIVE trial is a good example and perhaps a cautionary tale of the impact of one study and the lens through which it is viewed. Let's look at the ARRIVE trial research itself. There are multiple aspects of any type of research study that need to be evaluated before interpreting the results into clinical practice. The first attribute to consider is the design or type of study The ARRIVE trial used a randomized design, which improves the rigor as random assignment to groups is designed to distribute confounding factors equally between groups. Just an aside here, if you remember from your research classes, confounding factors are those other factors that might actually contribute to the outcome. For example, things like age, socioeconomic status, BMI, So if you randomize, theoretically then those things are going to be the same in both groups. Another characteristic of a study that must be assessed is its participants. Ideally, the samples of women who participate in studies should be diverse or approximate approximate the target population. Prospective trials often struggle to enroll and retain a diversity of women. As a result, findings may not be applicable to a population broader than those included in the individual studies. In the ARRIVE trial, only 27% of women who were eligible and offered participation entered the study, suggesting that the cohort of women who enrolled may be different in some way than the overall population of pregnant women in the United States, including their desire for induction of labor. So in other words, that 73% who declined participation are most likely in some ways different than the 27% of women who were eligible. Think about this for yourself or for your friends or family members. How likely would you be to enroll in a study where you're going to be randomized either to induction or to no induction? The median age of women who participated was 23 to 24 years, and few women, 3.7% in the labor induction group and 4.25% in the expected management group, were older than 35 years. Therefore, most participants were younger than many women giving birth in the United States. The demographic differences between the women in the ARRIVE trial and the larger population of women who give birth in the United States limit broad application of these findings. Study interventions must also be carefully examined. The ARRIVE trial did not have a a specified protocol for management of latent labor beyond asking that the clinicians initiate cervical ripening in women with a BISHOP score of less than 5 and allow women undergoing induction of labor at least 12 hours from rupture of membranes and initiation of a uterine stimulant before concluding that the labor induction was unsuccessful. Without tight control of management practices or blinding providers to group allocation, there can be differences in how the women in the two groups were treated. Let's stop here for a moment and think about whether or not you could blind in a trial like this. And there's no way to blind either the participants because they're going to know if they're going to be induced at 39 weeks. And there's also no way to blind providers because they're going to know if they're inducing at 39 weeks versus expectant management. For example, clinicians, may have given women undergoing labor induction more time to complete latent phase than women laboring spontaneously. While customization of care is an ethical imperative, it decreases research treatment fidelity and introduces bias in prospective studies. When evaluating the results of studies, it is important to distinguish between statistical and clinical significance as Barker discusses in a commentary in this issue. While p-values determine the likelihood that a study's results were due to chance or not, these values are often erroneously used as a litmus test to indicate the importance of findings. For example, while the arrived trial results did not reach the preset level of statistical significance for neonatal outcomes, elective labor induction at 39 weeks gestation was associated with the trend toward a lower stillbirth rate, even though the median gestational age at birth was only four days difference, different between the two groups. While this outcome was not statistically significant by a small margin, margin, it is consistent with other research in diverse populations, and it may be clinically significant for women and their healthcare providers depending on a woman's individual circumstances. Further evidence on prevention of stillbirth may shift maternity care toward greater use of labor stimulation or perhaps will be important for women in birth planning. In addition to an objective analysis of study results, it is critical not to let a professional philosophy become a professional prejudice. Several relevant professional organizations have issued statements about the ARRIVE trial results. Each of these statements highlights aspects and implications of the study relevant to the membership of that organization. Many were crafted with input from other professional organizations in a collaborative interprofessional approach. All the statements recommend caution before liberally offering elective induction of labor and highlight possible systems problems associated with implementation, such as having adequate staffing or patient rooms. In addition, they all emphasize shared decision-making with the woman as an essential element of implementation of the research results. The similarities in professional organization statements about the ARRIVE trial reflect an increasing focus on an individual's desires and needs that is a true step forward for all of maternity care. However, there are noticeable differences in the statements. The American College of Nurse Midwives statement reaffirms a commitment to normal, physiologic childbirth and does not endorse elective induction of labor the american college of obstetricians and gynecologists statement concludes that it is a reasonable it is reasonable to offer elective induction to women who meet specific criteria these are both examples of how professional viewpoints can affect interpretation about research implementation. One of the most important products of interprofessional dialogue is identification of professional bias. Just as the results of one study should not dictate practice, neither should a professional philosophy unduly influence the care offered to an individual. While all research is valuable, it takes many rigorous studies to establish an acceptable level of evidence to vastly change practice, especially when the implication is a is additional, is an additional and costly intervention. Adoption of practices on the basis of a single study can lead to a pendulum effect with wild swings in clinical management based on limited information. Instead, studies can be repeated and combined through systematic review or meta-analysis to improve the overall strength of evidence. High quality science should be replicated across a variety of populations facility types, and healthcare providers before being widely adopted in clinical practice. And I'm going to add to this that CNM care was not part of the ARRIVE trial. Staying abreast of research findings can be challenging, but it is essential. As the evidence that supports maternity care services changes, techniques for healthcare research are also developed and refined. Randomized trials have historically been the gold standard for research, as they could mitigate the effects of confounding variables. However, randomized trials that include pregnant women are often limited by ethical concerns. Some questions cannot be answered with a randomized trial because studying exam- because a study examining them would present too much risk for a woman and her fetus. Even when a trial is appropriate, the care provided must be customized to meet participant needs and system capabilities, which limits treatment fidelity. Because of the difficulties in obtaining representative samples and maintaining treatment fidelity in prospective trials, such as randomized controlled trials, maternity care research has often relied on data generated from clinical care. Large data sets can be beneficial as they gather data from whole populations. However, traditional statistical techniques are less valuable in assessing these large data sets. New and advanced statistical techniques estimate relationships among events and outcomes with greater precision. This journal, Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health, has featured some of these techniques in previous issues, including Carlson et al's use of propensity score matching, which by the way, we have also used in our water birth study. So in other words, in propensity score matching, you're using retrospective data, but you're matching each person on an, each participant on somebody in the other group. So for our water birth trial, we had a certain number in the water birth group. And we matched in the land birth based on things like age and BMI and socioeconomic status so that the groups looked more alike. And Boberg study using Cox proportional hazards models. In this issue, Ellen Tilden, CNM PhD, and John Snowden, PhD, explained some new statistical approaches to study maternity care in a three-part series. Awareness that statistical analytical techniques continue to evolve assists healthcare providers in assessing the credibility of research findings. Rigorous research findings that contradict standard practice can create emotional dissonance. Clinicians can be biased about which studies or bodies of evidence to implement. However, just as the scenery changes over time during the course of any journey, the evidence that supports healthcare services changes. Evidence may not always support non-intervention or may cease to support interventions healthcare providers thought were helpful. While non-intervention is preferable when appropriate, ignoring high-level rigorous evidence supporting interventions that could improve maternal or neonatal outcomes would be negligent. Finally, in addition to changing evidence that conflicts with professional philosophy, Tension between evidence-based and person-centered care is always a critical factor to take into consideration. Maternity care does not simply follow a cookbook of best practices generated from evidence. Excellent health care incorporates high-level evidence with the woman and family's needs and preferences while remaining sensitive to the context of health care at that location. This balance is not easy as the research on professionally related stress among midwives in this issue attests. Despite some limitations, the arrived studies findings pose important questions for clinical care. In the sea of shifting evidence, clinicians must remain open to new information while not be being pushed off course. Open dialogue with other professionals about best practices for shared decision-making, informed consent, and high quality evidence-based care is essential in this process. These are some of the hallmarks of midwifery, which are the North Star of our work and guide us toward our goal of safe, satisfying maternity care, even as tides shift.